From the moment we're born and lock eyes with our parents, we are inspiring others. By showing up as a vessel of service, we not only help others, we help ourselves. Welcome to SOS Stories of Service, hosted by Teresa Carpenter, here from ordinary people from all walks of life who had transformed their communities by performing extraordinary work. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the 58th episode of Stories of Service, Ordinary People Who Do Extraordinary Work. And I am the host of Stories of Service, Teresa Carpenter. And today I am so excited. We have another amazing guest, and we always have amazing guests. But every time I have somebody on who inspires me, I just get so excited. And today I bring you Michelle G.I. Gardner Ince. Michelle, how are you doing? I'm doing amazing. Hello, everyone. How are you, Teresa? It's such a pleasure and honor to be here. Uh, can't wait to get started. Awesome. All right. So as I always do, I start off the episode. I'm going to read you guys a little bit about Michelle, and then we're just going to dig right into the questions. If you're joining us from YouTube, please make sure you hit that subscribe button or uh, hit the bell on the uh, buttons on LinkedIn so you get notifications for when we go live. So what we are going to do today is we're going to go deep into what it means to branch out and start a small business after one devotes a lifetime to serving one's country. I know there's a lot of you out there who are watching who are in the same position. And we will also discuss how Michelle took her skills honed from years serving in the Air Force and now uses them to help veterans, minorities, and other small business startups. And this will be for anyone who's just looking to make that career change. As the director of the Women Veteran-Owned Small Business Initiative, she leads the Department of Veteran Affairs efforts to develop programs that connect and enable women veteran entrepreneurs within the VA federal and commercial marketplace. As the architect of the first program of its kind in the federal government, this, they, it brings together like-minded female veteran entrepreneurs to position and enable their success and remove obstacles that often stand in their way. This effort is known in the veteran and small business community as VezBiz Lady or VezBiz Ladies. Ms. G.I. is a highly decorated Air Force veteran and retired colonel, having served 20 plus years serving veterans, military troops, and their families. Before creating her own small business, G.I. Strategic Solutions LLC, an advisory and consulting firm, she held numerous executive level positions and her experience spans customer-centric business operations, training, consulting, strategic collaboration, and directing award-winning complex global operations. One of her most significant leadership roles while still serving in the military was as the commander of the Army and Air Force Exchange Service Pacific Region, where she led a $1.8 billion retail food and service business with full profit loss responsibility, employed 7,000 plus associates who provided goods and services to over 350,000 militaries, government, civilian, and State Department patrons and their families. While in command, her leadership led to the top highest grossing military exchanges in the world two years in a row. Her personal mission is to be about the business of America's veterans, serving those who continue to serve America, Miss GI has a unique perspective in that she's never been without a military ID card. And we'll talk more about this. She is a veteran and a military spouse, and she grew up in an Army family. Her father and Vietnam veteran, Colonel Arthur Gardner, commissioned her. Welcome once again. Wow. So I think the first hey, thing that I hey, oh, Teresa, I'm getting delayed um, signal on my end. You were choppy. Am I choppy on your end? 
you are not choppy on my end. I can hear you perfectly. Okay. Uh, so okay. I think we're I good. Oh yeah, no worries. And then my husband normally watches the show and he'll kind of stick into the comments and let me know if there's any 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 uh, delays. So, but like I said, okay. the, the, yeah. So we'll let you know uh, if there's anything. I'm hearing you just fine. If okay, you could go back in time to where you were when you decided to join the military. Yeah, my husband just said I'm seeing and hearing both of you perfectly. Um, what was the reason? you decided to spend a lifetime in the US military? Well, well, first of all, I'm just humbled that this little black girl, uh, you know, from Georgia, born to Willie May Hall Gardner and Arthur R. Gardner would have the distinct opportunity to, um, you know, just to serve so many um, Marines, airmen, soldiers, and sailors throughout my 27-year career and continue it, um, you know, doing what I do now, serving uh, military and veteran women in the area of entrepreneurship. I will tell you, I didn't start out uh, thinking that I would uh, join the Air Force. I'd seen my father, and you can see the, the shadow box behind me that's mm -hmm. half his and half, half, half mine. Um, <clears throat> I didn't think I would go in the military. I, I went to Tuskegee and, and uh, my dad said I needed to go there because I didn't know who I was. I was a little black girl, I had been raised <laughs> as, a, as the only black officer's kid most of my, most of my youth. And so I went there and uh, <clears throat> basically um, uh, Tuskegee was a federally funded school at that time and everybody had to take ROTC and PE and the logic of a a uh, 17 year old was that, uh, uh, you know, the Air Force ROTC would be, uh, you know, those ladies with the cute blue uniforms uh, didn't look like they were going to be getting dirty. And so I signed up for ROTC, Air Force ROTC, instead of PE. I was the, in one semester and said, oh my God, I get to boss people around and they really listen. And uh, <laughs> Then I, the second semester, I ended up having a uh, three and a half year ROTC scholarship. And I thought I was going to stay four or five years and uh, the rest is history. So that's how I got in. Uh, but really it was um, just, just seeing my ability to impact the Air Force's ability to impact uh, people in their lives and serve them uh, really touched me. And I love that. Wow. So were you were a logistics officer, I'm assuming, uh, in most of your career? I was, uh, well, it's similar to logistics in the Air Force. We call it services, which is hospitality. Uh, that's um, <clears throat> everything from, uh, we call it cradle to gate grave, right? So from the time kids enter daycare at child care centers, rerun child care centers. And then we also give, uh, you know, the last military honors. And so that's department stores, that's uh, hotels, restaurants, golf courses, you know, bowling centers and uh, fitness centers, everything in between. I've had a water plant, a, a bakery and a, a thousand acre horse stables be under my command. So it's every and anything you could think of uh, that a city or an Air Force city would offer uh, families and, and um, airmen. Wow, that's amazing. When, yeah. when you, when, yeah, when you came into this, what did you, were, were you kind of overwhelmed? And then how did you find your groove in, in such a challenging position? 
Absolutely. So, you know, the way the, the uh, progression goes is you start out being in charge of one thing. And I was a food service officer first, then I was a lodging or hotel manager next. And then I went to teaching uh, other young, uh, you know, officers to do that. And then I went into my first, what we call a division chief, which would be a very small like squadron, uh, you know, of people, maybe, you know, 70 or 80 people. And then you just start to progress and then you have larger groups and larger groups all the way up to the point where I was a commander with all of those things I just mentioned. And then I've been a base commander, which is basically like being in charge of the city uh, for an entire base or installation. So it, you know, over 27 years, I got to do some amazing, absolutely amazing things. Wow. And I loved every minute. I loved every minute. <laughs> That's amazing. I what would you say was probably the most when you were in command? Because that's always like the pinnacle of, of one's career. Yeah, yeah, and what yeah. would you say was probably the, the most um, fulfilling, but then also the most challenging of those roles? Hmm. Um, I'm going to start with the challenging first. Um, you know, um, you know, first of all, I'll, I'll tell a story. I remember I was uh, the commander at uh, Ellsworth Air Force Base in South Dakota, and I'm going around touring the base with the base commander because, you know, one of the things about being a commander with a lot of facilities, the exterior and the entrance and the service is very important, and he wanted to point some things out to me. And so while we were in the car, I was in the staff car with him. Now, mind you, he's the base commander, so he's got police um, um, car lights inside of his grill, like a lot of commanders do for emergency uh, operations. And so I said, sir, I want to show you the new uh, dining facility, you know, that we're going to have or the flight kitchen we're going to have uh, on the flight line and some of the progress we've done. And he said, okay, well, let's just go over there now. Well, I'm driving in the car with him in the passenger seat. <laughs> and, uh, and this red truck speeds by and him being who he was he decided to go in hot pursuit of this truck that was speeding above the speed limit on the flight line side road and he pulls the truck over and he's just rear he's just like let me see your id card and da -da -da -da. <laughs> and he goes and then the, the he and he asked the the question no commander wants to hear who's your commander and he points to me in the car that he just got out of, that my commander just got out of. So I would tell you the one of the hardest part is being responsible for stuff that you have absolutely nothing to do with, but you are, you know, it's one of the things I love about leadership. I posted it, uh, you know, earlier this week. If it's good, it's leadership. If it's bad, it's leadership. So everything, you know, John Maxwell says, everything rises and falls on leadership. And I would say, that was the hardest part is, um, you know, being responsible for people and not not. And, and when you have a lot of facilities, you know, everything you're responsible for everything, you know, and, and oh, yeah, you know, and so that I would say that really made it tough. And then, you know, the other tough part was disciplining, um, you know, people when you when you had to knowing they were good people. And, uh, you know, it was known to be very, very tough as a lot of female officers are because we 
we have to operate in that 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 very I call it male energy. That's what they call mm -hmm. it now. But you know, back in my day, <laughs> uh, you didn't cry. Uh, you 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 were tough. You you drove to the other side of the base or home to cry. You put the tea bags and the ice on your face and you came back like nothing had happened, right? And right. so, but but you know, I gave a Article 15 and an MSM in the same year. And somebody said, well, why would you do that? Well, when I gave him Article 15, I gave him a suspended bust. And I said, you know, he was, we were in Korea. He was selling dishes. I kept ordering new dishes for the dining facility and they kept getting lost. No, he was selling them on the black market. Uh, but at the same time, he was the best food service operation in the entire Pacific Command. So he, one didn't cancel out the other. So I had to discipline him, but you know, I, I tell commanders, we must share, you know, that UCMJ authority to, to, to change people's lives, to give them a felony is serious. And, and we have to have grace. And I will tell you, this example of grace, he stayed clean for the next seven, eight months until he PCSed. He got the uh, Meritorious Service Medal. That Meritorious Service Medal got him promoted to E7 the first time. And when he finished his career, he was the Air Force Chief of Staff's enlisted aide. So if I had killed him mm -hmm. at an earlier stage, he never would have gotten there. And he transformed the entire enlisted aid career field in the Air Force. Now you get certified in wines as a souvenir. You get certified as a, as a professional carver. Mm -hmm. You get certified as a home manager, which is almost you know, $70,000 course. And when you leave the military, you now can go manage the homes of the rich and famous. And it was all because of Chief Master Sergeant Steve Ray, who I gave grace to when he had a line number for, uh, for e E6. So, you know, I just, I just love that story. Uh, they always don't turn out that way, but that is mm -hmm. one of the, the, the hardest things, I think, as a, as a, as a leader and as a commander. And one of the most rewarding things is to get to promote people, to retire people and to celebrate them and elevate them. And, and so, you know, yeah, I would say that's, you know, that, that is really the good and bad of leadership. Um, and, and I have a saying, um, you know, the place every great leader should wanna be is close to God. Because when you think about all the opportunities to mess up the mission, see the mission oftentimes can be redone but more importantly, the lives of people, the place that every great leader should want to be is close to God. Because when we get too much ego about the power we have and, and how we wield it and worrying about what other people think, we should be worrying about the lives that God has entrusted in us. And I think that's one of the most um, powerful things that a leader can do, any leader can do is to realize you will be held accountable either now or later when you have bad or toxic leadership. So um, you I, can I tell them, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was just gonna say, I, I completely agree with you, Michelle. And I think that that's the thing about leadership that, you know, is so difficult is the fact that, you know, when it's good, it, it's great and, and yes, but but it, it can be a very thankless and, and just grunt, grunt job because you really yes. are responsible to know what is going on with everything at all times. And yes. it's a lot to like keep track of. I'm in a leadership role now and I haven't been in one in, in a few years. 
And it's so much just to keep in, oh my God, you must've gone through the mm -hmm. same thing. Just mm -hmm. keeping your brain caged around everything that you could possibly need to understand. When you were in that role, I was just listening to a podcast about white space and balance. And mm -hmm. how did you day to day manage a space or a time in your day to to just sort of de-stress or or to sort of process what was going on and all the different things that were coming your way? Uh, absolutely. Uh, first, let me say I went to a French change of command in the Navy who runs all of the civil engineering or you know operations for the entire west coast very mm -hmm. impressive my first navy like formal <laughs> event right and he was mm -hmm. saying the same thing he was like how do i manage all this thing i've got to learn this and i said no you have to lead you don't have to learn yeah you are not and that is one of the biggest challenges as a leader is that we think we have to know everything no, we have to know the right things to ask. We have to have the right people in the right place, especially in those places of you know high visibility. And we have to have high trust of those people. And so, you know, I think uh, you know one of the techniques that that I always used is I, I use pulse points. There are certain things in every operation that if that one thing happens, it's going to show outside right? It's going, you know, there's some things that you have as a commander, you can control, nobody's going to know that it's kind of, you know, on the brink, mm -hmm. and you can bring it back. But there are things that will get to your boss's level, right? Or above or outside. Those are things that I always maintain pulse points are on. And I want to check those on a regularly regular basis, because I know if those are out of whack, it's going to be ugly. And it's going to be ugly for everybody or that it has a large impact. You know, as far as white space, I'll tell you when I, uh, you know, I've been in self-development for a very long time. So a lot of what I do, and still to this day, is I used to listen to, you know, John Maxwell tapes, right? Miles <laughs> Monroe is another leadership phenomenal guy, just to try to have techniques and tools about what can I do to lead better, right? And that white space kind of, I felt like I had a mentor all the time. I'd be working on my computer and I'd have it playing in the background. And then my children, you know, I was a, got married late, had children late, and they always um, gave me escape space. And, and my husband, much like yours, tremendously supportive, you know, he would drop off, he would pick up in the, in the, in the evenings, I would drop off. You know, so I protected the time in the morning unless I had a meeting. That was my time to talk with them and see the world through their eyes. And so, you know, to this day, uh, that my family and my faith and, and just learning and wanting to grow and be better um, as a leader and as a person is what gives me, um, you know, peace. And then, you know, you know, I kind of learned to love myself at a very, very early age, you know, being the only black officer's kid on the post, almost from first grade kindergarten through high school, I was always the only black officer's <laughs> kid. So the whites didn't like me because I was black. The blacks didn't like me because they thought, oh, she thinks she's better because her dad makes more money than my dad. And so I learned, 
I tried everything. I've been a fool. I've tried to pay. I've done, you know, let people embarrass me. And I realized there's nothing I can do to make people like me. No. If they don't like me, it's their problem. And imagine I, I had a good grasp of that by the time I went to college. And so as a result, um, I don't really need um, uh, a lot of, ex I'm not externally driven. Uh, you know, I don't really care what people think. I care what my family thinks. I, I, I care what God thinks according to my values. Mm -hmm. And so, because, right. so I think that helped a lot in that I didn't look for affirmation and um, uh, from, you know, I didn't look, I'm always competing against myself. And so I think that really helped me kind of really stay on track because, and I want to go back to something, the discipline actions, right? In the Air Force, and I don't know how it is in the other services, if you um, discipline at a lesser level than um, other commanders, they look at it and then it's kind of like, well, why are you being so lenient? Aren't you a strong leader? Aren't you holding your people accountable? You know, you can, you can let things get out of hand. And so I think that puts pressure on, on leaders and commanders to, um, uh, to maybe be harder than they really would be. And it takes a lot of strength to stand firm and set your own standards for what you believe uh, a good discipline and order is in your, in your, in your, uh, in your particular organization. So, you know, I love this, this thing of leadership, but I, 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 there is one place I go, I try to go to several conferences every year, kind of plug in and recharge. That's my college, you know, homecoming. It's like going back and seeing people that you've known, you know, when you were just trying to figure life out and, and to see their progress and to just be affirmed, right? And so that, you know, Tuskegee's homecoming, which is coming up in a, in a week or two, is always something that, that really uh, charges me. Being around uh, very smart, uh, amazing women and seeing what they're doing, how they're achieving, um, how they balance it all uh, inspires me and puts juice in my tank. And then the last thing I would say is I love mentoring. I've always been a very strategic and deliberate um, mentor. And I all started back when I was a second lieutenant and I worked for uh, an E-9 called Chief Ed Moran. My dad said, who was an army colonel said, uh, you know, when you get in, uh, find a good senior NCO uh, and uh, <laughs> hold on to their coattails and listen to everything they did. So for the first three years I was in the Air Force, I worked for a Chief Mass Sergeant. Chief Mass Sergeant didn't work for me. I was the Chief's Lieutenant. He was not the Chief's, he wasn't the Lieutenant's Chief. And I, and I think a lot of who I am as a leader is because of that. He taught me how to be technically competent. He taught me how to, um, how to manage uh, enlisted troops. He taught me how when you're challenged, uh, you know, on your decisions, how to show and look in the regulation. And most of all, you know, he taught me how to mentor because of the respect he gave to me. You know, if I did something wrong, people knew you went to the chief and the chief would mentor the lieutenant. And so he would pull me aside and say, hey, Lieutenant X, Y, and Z, and I respected that. As a result, I have mentored, you know, 10 Chief Master Sergeants, a couple of them went the officer route, uh, and I would pick them up and, and um, at the E5, you know, E6 level, um, and I taught at Airman Leadership School, and uh, then once I got a few under my belt, the old would teach the young, 
and then they it just kind of went from there so i'm very proud of uh you know my mentorship uh uh not and it continues it still does i mm -hmm. you know I, I try to help anybody i can so i know it's a long answer but no you know. I, I i just got so much from listening to you and i think one of the, the biggest takeaways that you just said was the fact that you were always looking to learn from others and as well as paying forward what you were learning and yes. you always surrounded yourself with healthy positive people and resources whether it's yes. like you said you were listening to a john maxwell tape while you were working or you were always doing things to be a little better and to push yourself yeah. to grow just a little yeah. bit more and yes. the day before and you didn't yeah. compare yourself and i think comparison really is the theme oh of God. joy <laughs> and but but and then because we don't all and i say this all the time you don't start life none of us do in the same place so sure. if everybody even the person who's you know let's say has multiple felonies and is you know has all these legal problems and they've come from a broken home and they've just been in, you know in and out of trouble all their lives They'll, don't compare that person to you know <laughs> the ceo of a corporation no that's right they go well what can i do differently what how can yeah. i live my life a little differently than i did a month ago or two right. months ago what right. new choices right. can i make right and right. you know and i and think so we have to we have to give them grace you just brought up a good point you know when i when i was the base commander i used to go visit them in the in the in jail and i took my children with me for a reason right <laughs> who's good good uh, uh in you know lessons there there but but i i would say too i would always tell them i am only one decision away from where you are and i think we have to realize that at any time we could be weak, we could be tired, we could, our judgment could be clouded. And we could Absolutely. make a decision that would be where they are. And, and I try to remind myself because when we think that we're perfect, and oh, believe me, I had that season where, oh, my life was perfect, my husband was perfect, my kids was perfect, everything was perfect. But when you really think about one decision, you look at whether it's a general officer, whether it's a politician, whether it's an entertainer, anybody who's gotten in trouble it started with one decision just just yeah. one and and to realize if they had been thinking clear-headed if they had you know had the right influence that one decision may not have happened but once it does how do we help and i used to always give them john maxwell's book failing forward which is an amazing book on someone who has fallen and is trying to find their way back how do they do that and one of the things he says is when you fall or fail pick something up while you're down there and i think what he means by that is um when you're on the floor have you ever dropped something on the floor or you've fallen what you see when you're down there i didn't know that was under the sofa or <laughs> I didn't see that. you know you kind of look up and you see this whole new perspective so true on something right and and so i think we that's our job as leaders our job as friends and supporters is to help them not just be so quick to pop up you know how people when you fall you pop up because you don't mm -hmm. want to be embarrassed you want to get up really right quick. right stay down there for a little while right right so you know i think you're exactly right but that comparison thing makes commanders um 
and those who sit on these uh, Article 15 and discharge boards, it makes them make decisions that they think their leadership wants them to. I remember sitting on an Article 15 or a discharge board and I said, hey, this guy really deserves uh, another chance. And, um, and uh, it was, uh, the issue was that uh, he had done drugs, so it's so it some other people, but some other people had um, some people advocate for them. Uh, some other people were not African-American. And, and if you don't believe that's happening, a whole study was done on DOD on how there's more uh, uh, tougher um, judgment given to um, to airmen, uh, sailors, and Marines that are that are of color, but I tried to get my other members on the board to give him another chance, and their response was, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let make my boss think I support drug, you know, people who do drugs." And I was like, "Wow!" And what could I say? I understood that. I don't mm -hmm. try to judge people. I mean, that's where their comfort zone was. They thought that their career might be um, impacted by supporting a, 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 you know, someone who did drugs, and and I was voting for rehabilitation, but they did not, and that young man uh, was put out of the service. So I just think the comparison thing in leadership, um, it really requires some some real confidence in who you are as a leader, and unwavering, um, um, you know, values. My values are this, and and stay right there, and it, it's not popular. And you you know that you've made decisions and and um, as well. So, so I yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've definitely made my share of unpopular uh, decisions, and I and I've made my share of mistakes. And I and like you said, I've been in those moments where you're you're down there and, and you're vulnerable, and you have to take what you can learn from that situation. And I I try I try to do this healthy balance of not beating myself up, but then at the That's same hard. time. <laughs> Oh, it is because I, I can second guess myself and overanalyze and beat to death um, a situation and think, well, what could I have done differently? Um, so, I, but I, and I try to balance that with what was I supposed to take away from that circumstance? What was, what was the lesson that, you know, that God was, was trying to teach me? Like, what would I, what, what, what was I supposed to walk away with? Um, and then at the same time, um, also not taking all the ownership, looking at the situation in a way where, you go, okay, this was my side of the street, but then there was a responsibility and a piece to the other side of the street that Absolutely. wasn't my responsibility. And that's okay to just, you know, let that go and, and, and go, okay, I did, I did my part. I owned what I needed to own. And, and the other part, um, I, I can't, I won't have control of that. Absolutely. And I, and I think, um, you know, would you say that um, when you said, okay, what am I supposed to learn? how long were you in leadership before you came to it's not all my fault or it's not all their fault but it's somewhere in between it was after my well i've done you know this is probably my i've done other small scale leadership jobs but this is now my second one and the first one i did for two years i would say it was probably about six months after that two-year period was when i was able to kind of look at the situation holistically and say okay, these were the things I did to exasperate the situation. Mm -hmm. These were the things that were outside my control. Right. Um, and then I can already see, I've been in this job now for two months, that there's things I don't do. I have so much more patience. Yes. With people. I, yeah. I don't, 
task the same way. I used to be very demanding in the way that yes. I would task. Now yes. I'm, I, I ask instead of yes. task. I, yes. I have a conversation about a job yes. I, yes. and I never try to task over email or phone. Yes. Always want to do it in person so that yes. you've got that face to face. There's just things that I do differently now as a leader based on that experience. So I'm so grateful that it happened uh, because yes. I know it made me better. But yes, to answer your question, it, I had to take some time to reflect and, and really yeah. analyze what happened and go, okay, these are the things that I, I did correctly. These are the things I could have, I could have done better. You know, and, and I want to say that I think um, leading as a woman <laughs> is, is very different, right? And it's different because, you know, it, it, it was a long time. And, and again, it was, have, had a lot to do with the era in which I led, uh, I came in. I had to be tough. I had to be, you know, my daughter will, mm -hmm. will repeat this now, you know, I, I, and, and I try, I try to teach this to her, but, but let her realize, okay, it is okay to be vulnerable. But, you know, I used to tell her, are you crying? Why are you crying? You know, if someone's husband or family member's not hurt, uh, you're not hurt. Uh, why are you crying? Because somebody gave you a task or because the task is different or difficult. Or, and that's the way I was just like, suck it up, get on yeah. with it, right? I was and, kind of the same way. Yeah, and so, you know, now what I realize is that um, if you can get someone to be vulnerable enough to accept help, right? I believe in crossing across lines in teams. So if someone else is a strong writer, and someone else isn't. Some people would say, well, no, they need to learn to be a strong writer. Are they a good enough writer to get the message across? But does another team member who might be their peer need to review what they did because they're excellent? Because the level of effort and damage to their self-esteem it will take for you to harp on them about, oh, about, about, about getting it right, you kill them. And then they, what they do is they go into quiet quitting. Well, you know, they don't think I'm good at this, but instead develop the trust of it's okay to ask for help. If that person is strong, let that person help. And where you're strong, help the other person. And so then what happens is this strong peer um, 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 alliance that happens across the organization. And then guess what? I'm not threatened because you're my peer and we both work for the same boss and you're doing part of my job and I'm and, and, and vice versa. But that has to start at the top to give them permission so that they don't feel like they're in competition, right? And they can't be vulnerable because what happens is the entire team organization wins because so everybody's right. working in their strongest area. Mm -hmm. Oh because my God. I, you know, pe people think like, oh, gee, you're so awesome at that. Well, guess what? I don't do anything that I'm not good at. Right, right. And it's knowing what I you're not good else. at. Yeah, like I'm not good with detailed spreadsheets and mm. um, things things that are very, very much, you know, methodical. I am very good at understanding how to keep track of a lot of balls in the air and, yes. and being able to write things down and having sort of a methodical approach to things. So what I try to do is... I give the tasks that I know I'm not good at uh, to yes. the people on my team that I know are very good at those tasks. And then, like you said, you can't just keep beating somebody up about something that they are not good at. You have to 
decide for your decide for your team okay let's put that one person that's super good at this one thing on the task that they're yes. good at and they enjoy doing because that just brings out the best in them i i mean i i'm very lucky in in public affairs we have a wonderful mix of of artists of designers of, of videographers you know photographers we get these people that really aren't necessarily like your brick and mortar military <laughs> types we get a lot more creatives and, and yeah and it's it's such you a know, neat you know, you know it's funny because i there's you know when you get to be my age and i've been working 40 years you know so uh, you know and i've been leading 40 years and so you you come up with these um the these um principles mantras whatever you live by and one of them i live by is you put the right person in the right job at the right time they can do the work of five their mm -hmm. addition and their multiplication you put the wrong person in the wrong job at the wrong time their division and subtraction just think of any team that has mm -hmm. been just totally jacked up it's because somebody is in the wrong position yep. and instead of the leader having the courage and it takes courage because those people generally don't want to move they're comfortable but they mess up everything around them right they don't want to move them mm -hmm. but you have to sometime for the team right you have to you, and, and you have to tap into what people what people like to do best and what their skill you know what, not even what their skill set is what they enjoy working on uh, yes and yes you can and and people do i mean one of the wonderful things about morning meetings and i try to keep them as brief as possible is you always listen to what somebody's telling you they're working on what what do they volunteer that they're working on yes. what's their next thing well yes. then that's probably something that they're either proud of or something that they want to keep doing yes. so it yes. doesn't really I'm learning. It doesn't do me a lot of good to just keep asking about the one thing that they haven't, because maybe that's something that, you know, they, they don't that need to go to somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should go to somebody else. Maybe, uh, yeah, you have to just kind of decide, uh, what, what are the things that people are, are, are most comfortable doing and what are the things that maybe you take off their plate because yeah, they're not the right person for the, for that job. So it's, it's yeah. such a challenge to lead, but it's also such a joy and to Isn't see it? people succeed and to see a plan come together. It's, it's a, it's an amazing, uh, process. So I think my next question then will now we'll transition a little to you, the, what you, the decision that you made, if you were in for 27 years mm -hmm. and you retired as a Colonel, how did you get into the miss GI thing? You're now a LinkedIn <laughs> top voice. You've got a business. How oh. did that come about? Well, first of all, I've always been entrepreneurial, right? I mean, um, mm -hmm. you know, having been in all of the, the hotel, restaurant, all of that has to generate a profit. That is what you, when you see the MWR fund and when new facilities are being built, new services are being uh, offered on a, on a post for military members and their families, that money comes from the Army Air Force Exchange Service or from the uh, generation of revenue from the clubs, the childcare centers, the gyms, all of that are, you know, not so much the gyms, but that's almost like a break even. But other clubs and hotels have, um, and restaurants have to make money. And when they make money, they not only pay for their staff, but they also make money 
to bring new revenue. So I've always been, a, a, you know, entrepreneurial, if you will. Um, then I would say, um, you know, after I, and I imagine I'm coming out of the Air Force, I've managed a billion dollar portfolio. <laughs> right. And I said, <laughs> I am going to run a business. I am going to be a great CEO. I'm going to make a million dollars in one year. <laughs> I failed. I failed. I was in business two years. I still have my business now, but I don't generate any revenue because of the job I'm in right now. But I was in business for two years as a subcontractor to two veteran-owned uh, businesses, and I failed. And this is why I'm so passionate about what I do. First of all, I will never name their names, but they did not take care of me. They did not mentor me. They took advantage of what I did not know. And what, and I think that's the challenge of transitioning into business, right? You may be very technically skilled, you understand processes, but you do not understand the other side of the table. It's all about where you sit. Yeah, people go, oh, I'm a contracting officer. I know. No, you don't. You don't know what it's like to fish and catch and eat what you catch. Mm. The military has been giving you fish. They put up the infrastructure, they figure out how to pay the contractor, they figure out how to do all the HR things, all of that's on you. And if you don't understand how to do those systems, oh, by the way, it's feast or famine because you're not making enough money to go hire those people, so you have to do it yourself. You're going into a new country called government contracting, which has a whole new language, whole new culture, whole new way of doing things, and you don't know. And there's a lot of information, but what do I need to know now and what do I need to execute? So bottom line is I failed. And then uh, a friend of mine, and this is what I think is amazing about having a brand. I always have had a brand of, I'm a person as my tw now 25 year old uh, this weekend says, mom, you're a person who brings powerful people together. And I go, oh, I never thought about that. So I've always done a lot of uh, large professional organization events where I'm always bringing people together. And so Squadron Officer School is the first uh, uh, leadership training that, that officers go to. Well, one of my colleagues that we, uh, we all grew up and made Colonel together ran the veteran hiring program for the VA. And VA has a goal to, you know, have 40% of its staff be veterans. He called me, he says, hey, GI, I got this SES who uh, uh, says he's looking for somebody who can run stuff and who can fix stuff. And he said, that's GI. <laughs> and that's the power of having a brand, right? And so I came to this interview, really funny story. <laughs> came to this interview and I, he said, can I give him your resume? I came to the interview and I, and I put, you know, money in the, in the parking meter in DC, two hours, you know, hey, two hours. This is a four-hour interview, four mm -hmm. hours later, and I left that interview, and I thought, I better freaking get this job because I've got a $50 ticket waiting on my car, and I did. So, <laughs> so, you know, basically, I don't know how many people get hired this way, but I was hired before the job even came out on USA Jobs. Oh, and wow. that job was that job was uh, running the certification program, Veteran Business Certification Program for VA. That's what that's what I came into, and so uh, and, you know, <clears throat> and because I had a passion for, you know, for business, I want and I and I'm a big integrity. I believe you must build integrity into any process. If you don't, it leaves um, 
too much room for people to apply their own standards. I'll just put it that way. And so, you know, when I came, there were people who got verified maybe in days because of somebody they knew or how much stars and rank they had. But there were other people who were privates and sergeants and, you know, young officers who, who would take them almost 200 days to get through the process. And I was there to fix that. And so I told my boss at the very beginning, I will not, I don't care if you're the president's mama, I don't care if you're the president's daughter. First mm -hmm. in, first out. If, you're, if your application <laughs> starts here, you're going through the process. And so by the time I, I left that job some three years later, we were one of three VA organizations, ISO 9000-1 certified. And we were went from almost 200 days in the process to 40 days. That's and awesome. so I really, that's how I came into VA. That's how I got into small business. And when I heard the stories that broke my heart about people putting second mortgages on their homes and things like that to get, you know, their business going. Mm -hmm. And here it is, they couldn't get a contract because they needed that certification in order to get the contract. That really broke my heart. And so... Uh, you know, that's really how I came into the entrepreneur space. And it was a perfect fit because I've always um, fixed things. My dad was uh, one of the first Black Army Corps of Engineers. And he said to me, Michelle, uh, uh, you know, leave deep footprints. And some people may think that means walk heavy on people. But what he meant by is every place you go, they should know you were there. You should create history. And so in every job I've had, I've either been a first, I've created some new program that never has been. I have been a trailblazer my entire <laughs> working life. I'll, I'll put it I that love way. It. And now that comes with a cost now. You know, when you are ruffling feathers and you're- Oh, I know. You're, 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 it comes with, it sounds really cool, but it, it does on paper. But it comes with a price. And what I'm hearing, Michelle, and, and I don't know if you see this with a lot of women, and I, and I'll be honest with you, and, and and please don't take this the wrong way, and I think you'll take it the right way. I don't notice it as much with black women, but I notice it with mm. with white women, and and I'm just gonna say it. A no, lot of them are, are they're people pleasers, and they're and sometimes they they are nice, and I feel sometimes that somebody like myself, and like I said, I, I've always noticed with 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 black women, they're a lot stronger, and they'll they'll voice their opinion, they'll. They'll tell you how they feel and you just, you know, what you, you what you see is what you get. And I'm saying, yes. and I'm not saying all black women are all no, no, white women. All I'm white not saying. I got it. I got it. But, but I'm loving this conversation. <laughs> I'm just being honest. And, no, I, and, and I think, I think this is a conversation needs to be had and we may need to do a whole episode because I <laughs> because think it's important. I, I mean, maybe it's just in public affairs. I don't, I don't know what it's like in other parts of the military or other parts of business, but I get a feeling and a pressure sometimes to be more soft, to be mm -hmm. nicer, to mm -hmm. be more, mm -hmm. and, and I would agree. Feminine like, energy, that's what they're Yes, yes. And, I, and I definitely get that sense. And I, I always have wondered like, to be somebody that questions things, or like you said, ruffles feathers, because to make change in any organization, and in order to fix a broken system or a disorganized office, you have to be a person that's not afraid to, to make people a little uncomfortable. Now there's a way to go about it. There's a absolutely light way and absolutely. you have to explain everything that you're doing and you have to be patient. You can't do it overnight. <laughs> but I, Could you have told me that like 20 <laughs> years ago? 
But I sometimes wonder if business just isn't ready for a, sometimes a, a strong woman who holds people accountable and has standards. Uh, uh, oh, I mean, I, you just described me. I tell people either people love me or they dislike me. There mm -hmm. is no middle ground. There isn't, oh, GI's okay. No. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, if I'm there, you know I'm there. I'm decisive. I'm very unemotional. I can compartmentalize. Um, and oh, by the way, I only need about 70% of the information to make a decision because all of that experience I've had over the years tell me what success mm -hmm. looks like. I'm very comfortable in the ambiguous. I'm very comfortable in high risk areas. And it's very, as one of my, my colleagues uh, who's from one of the African countries said, he said, Michelle, uh, if you were in my country, you would be a man. And I, <laughs> I laughed, right? Because I agree. I, I agree. It's and, But also women have a tendency to dislike me because I am that way, right? And, and, and but, you know, somebody said, I had somebody that worked for me, um, you know, that said, how do you get these guys to listen to you? And I'm like, uh, First of all, you have to gain their respect. You do. You have to be competent. And you gain their respect by, you know, I'm going to say this because it sounds, since we're going here, girl, we're just going in, <laughs> right? I don't care if it's my time of the month. I'm like this. I'm straight as an arrow. I'm not moving. I'm not emotional. I don't care if I had issues with my husband. I'm like this. I'm not like this. So, you know, I don't somebody said to me also that you know hey you were in a really tough spot and you just you just held resolve but i think the whole i think that has to do with um the strong black women that we saw growing up i, I will say that you know my mother is uh you know will be 84 years old in in january you know has a second home in goldsboro north carolina texted you at three o'clock in the morning she's gone She's Army Wife of the Year, you know, for 1973. You know, my grandmother and my great-grandmother were all very strong women because of what they had to persevere. But at the same token, that's how we get the angry black woman when we are tired of having to over-explain. We are tired of having um, to, um, to uh, justify you know, while we're right, being questioned, being told because we're passionate about something that means we're angry. I had a colleague. Yeah. yeah, we're not emotional. I'm passionate about this. And right. oh, by the way, you should be too. Like you may <laughs> show your passion in a different way, but because of my background, you know, I've been a cheerleader. So I've always been extra drama, glamour girl, you know, that's me. That's what you're going to get. I'm not changing that. You know, I have learned to like, when I disagree with something to make you conscious, keep your, keep a straight face. And, but that didn't happen early on. You know, I took a couple of theater lessons. Like I think every dramatic woman should and learn to, you know, tone it down. Now I just like, I don't care. You, you get what you get, but I think it has to do a lot with um, the strengths that black women have seen. I think also that, um, that uh, women who are in the military, uh, we have to fight. Mm -hmm. We have to fight to be respected. We have to um, not fight like fight, 
but we have to we have to battle we're questioned uh differently we're 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 like mm, i don't know if they know what they're talking about uh you know all those things make us just want to dig in more and prove right mm -hmm. and 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 um and i think you know i had i, I had a uh, a parent who was an 06 at the time and i was a major uh when i had my, my, my son uh, and he said to me i was in there advocating for something because i was president of the pta and he said you know just say what you're going to say michelle you don't <laughs> saying it again doesn't make people you don't have to prove yourself and it took me a long time to really understand what he was saying now i say it i mean it if you don't get it it's your loss and i used to want to jump up and down and prove i don't prove anything now boo if you don't get it you don't get it right if you don't get my gifts my value you don't get my presence yeah and i'm presence as well as presence both with a c and a ts because i am a valuable member of any organization i promise you i'm a giver i'm generous by nature i want this organization to win and it's not about me but if you don't see my contribution as a present and you don't recognize my presence meaning actively i'm present i'm giving i'm not tuned out if you don't get that then you don't get that you don't get all of the way that the organization could be improved right if you respected and valued me and so i you know i think um you know just the white uh, uh black woman thing some of my best girlfriends are redheads and i love redheads because i think redheads uh know what it's like to be different uh they have the tendency to be spicy and we just gelled right and they are just as resolved so i agree it's not all i think it's some and and i you know and i think you get to the point where you don't need anybody's permission to be you yeah no i agree with i agree with you 100 percent. and uh i think that resilience and having struggle makes you into i think this kind of person like you said mm -hmm. because people mm -hmm. who are feisty or who you know then you have to do it respectfully and you choose your absolutely battle. Absolutely. win everything i mean you don't absolutely. want to be you never want to be combative and there's a lot right. of things you do have to let go but to strategically choose the things that you're going to take on to make an organization better i always have felt like why do you even exist if you're not trying to move things forward <laughs> like, you, like why are it's you like just like, food it's like like, like food. you're Who wasting time food? you can be salty <laughs> sweet sour whatever but be that but just be that consistently like people right. are sarcastic i get people who are sarcastic if you're sarcastic all the time i get it that's you right if you're sweet all the time i get it that's you but don't be bland like the wind is blowing this way and then i'm going this way you know i to say what does it say uh the bible says uh be hot or cold if you're lukewarm i will spit you out yeah that's the no, word of god and that's the same thing in in being a leader right i have to stand for something and i think what you're saying is true that you know when i was young that's why i said could you have told me that i wanted to fight and win everything i wanted to give i thought i had to give my opinion on everything i thought <laughs> i had to do everything right now i only want to do the things that i'm best at 
If mm -hmm. I'm not best at it, I don't want to do it. If I'm not best at it, I don't even compliment. I don't even, I don't even comment anymore. I'm like, mm -hmm. there's nothing for me to say. Somebody is far smarter, knows far more. I may know something, but it's not enough to really have a comment on. And I just sit quietly, right? But, but wow, that took 40 years, girl. I'm just saying. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, there's there's a lot of wisdom that that comes with, yeah. with with aging and then understanding where you're at and 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 getting just more comfortable, like you said, mm -hmm. in your skin. Understanding what gifts you bring to the table and 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 just walking into an organization, going, well, okay, how how am I going to not only use my gifts, but how am I going to capitalize on the strengths and the Absolutely. gifts of others to help move the organization forward? And, and learning and, who those influencers are. Oh yeah. Those people in the organization who may not hold a leadership position, but who are the ones that everyone is going to and counting on and moving moving things forward. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about some of the initiatives that you do work with small businesses. As we said, it's Small Business Month, so I wanted right, to give you an right, opportunity right, right. Uh, to right, talk right. a little bit about that. Yes. So before I didn't answer one of your questions, I'm sorry. I got oh, it's okay. passionate. Uh, you asked, how did this GI brand start? So, yes. so I went into the VA, I got, um, <clears throat> I got into the business arena and then in 2019, I thought I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, to start working on my brand because I want to be, uh, I, I want the public to know who I am. You know, the people who worked with me know who I am, but those who haven't don't. And so, uh, you know, in, in November of 2018, uh, my church has a big veteran affairs um, uh, event and everybody's put their uniform on. And so I had gained a lot of weight, stress, working too hard, not, not taking care of myself. And so I decided to put everything on my uniform on my hat. That's how you, that's why you see that hat in my mm -hmm. LinkedIn right, profile. Right. So my, my daughter, who's a, a photographer, took a picture and I posted on LinkedIn. Well, I got a call from a, a multiple star mentor of mine said, oh, I don't think that's in regulation, Michelle. And I said, <laughs> probably not, sir. You know, I'm not in the military anymore. And he said, well, you know, there's a regulation around, uh, how retirees can wear their uniform. I said, sir, there's people tearing up, burning up uniforms. I'm just trying to honor my service. So if that wasn't it good enough, he had a fellow Colonel friend of mine call me and send me the regulation. And I was like, what? <laughs> Being the rebel I am, you know what I did? I dug in. <laughs> I dug in and it made me mad, right? And so, I, when I went to take my picture, I was going to have some professional pictures done. I said, I'm just going to throw a hat and this dress in the bag. And when I put it on and I walked out, the photographer said, oh my God, this is your gift to me. And because he loved it and had not seen a military woman in that way, he captured me even in a way that I did. And it took me six months to post that because I just kept analyzing, because remember women veterans are just now starting to be really recognized, right? And right. I was like, oh, I don't like, it's too feminine. Oh, and I went through all this whole analysis, over analysis, um, so, and I posted it and the reviews were huge. And that is, I never started anything without a goal. So then I decided I want to be a LinkedIn top voice. And I said, every year I said, how many followers I, I want to get. And I went through two boot camps. I've been through branding. I spent a lot of money. 
I get photog I do photography twice a year. All those emojis you see, I've had those made by Upwork and Fiverr. Because if you have a lot of material, then when you're posting, you're just pulling and putting it all together. And I do all of my own graphics, all of my own posts. I don't have an I don't have admin assistant. If you want to do an internship, let me know. Call me. <laughs> but anyway, so that's how it started. And then Michael Quinn, who was a LinkedIn at that time, he was the only um, veteran LinkedIn um, 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 top voice. I reached out to him and uh, he gave me some tips. And then I just started watching what he did. And then I did it. And I, then I did it my way. And then sure. now I just started saying, I, it's got to be my voice. And I just went, so I was really surprised and honored. And once I got that, that is a full-time job. I will just let you know. It is, uh, you get a, a, a creative manager, uh, you know, that, that tells you and makes recommendations, tells you what you're doing, what you're not doing, you know, where LinkedIn trends are going to be and try to post on those things. It's a full-time job. So that's how I got, that's how I got it. It was out of being rebellious. So, you know, sometimes things, good things happen because you are rebellious. Uh, but, but then, you know, um, around the same time I got into the women veteran space and it all started because, uh, the department of veteran affairs, like most organizations or agencies have a 5% women owned small business goal. Well, VA has struggled to meet that goal ever since 2006. And you might say, why 2006? 2006 is when the veteran first law came to be about. So you're talking about a law versus a goal. And so they have to meet the, the law and it's suggested to make the goal. And so that's why they, they, they award contracts more to veterans. And then I said, well, women veterans are the fastest growing demographic. Let's put some stuff together. And that's when we had the first boot camp and uh, a cohort in 2019, we've had, you know, one in 2020, we've had one in 2021 and 22. So we've had about one per year. And, and um, you know, it's just me. So I don't do a lot of events, but I do like large events. And I believe taking a small group of women and having a deep impact rather than just putting out information, I'm more about impacting and influencing the outcome. And so I do a lot of that uh, based on, I call it matchmaking. People say matchmaking, but the reality is um, uh, a matchmaker is a yente. You prepare the groom and you prepare the bride, right? And then they come together. In order to do that, uh, you've got to understand what the groom wants. And I believe uh, Amanda findeth the wife, findeth the good thing, and the client is the is the groom, and the and the and the women veterans are the brides. So. Uh, we've done some amazing things, helped uh, a lot of women, and it really is more, I think, empowerment uh, and giving permission and helping them understand what they need to know and them just seeing others, other women succeed. So, uh, you know, I've been on this journey and um, it is my mission. It is my ministry to help women, veteran entrepreneurs and a few good men, uh, you know, uh, break into the commercial and the federal market that's where the big dollars are because only four percent of any woman-owned business will ever generate more than a million dollars in revenue and when a woman veteran gets it right they get they get past that million in a blank once they get it right and so my job is just to help open doors 
uh, be a small hinge opening big doors for, for women veterans. And it's an absolute pleasure and an absolute delight because women veterans, we're a secret weapon. I mean, we can have babies, we can be <laughs> caretakers, we can lead, we can carry a gun and balance all those balls and do it well. Uh, you know, anything we put our mind to, it's getting done. So, uh, and then add, uh, I got my sisters with me. Oh my God, look out, look out, just look out. <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it, Michelle. I, I just I know we're I know we're over. So no, I, no, it's, forgive me. It's Please okay. Me. <laughs> it's quite okay. And and this conversation has just been amazing. And you have so much to offer. You're you're living in your gift. You're you're just you're oh, you're living you. in your in your purpose. And it's just it's so refreshing to talk to somebody who knows who they are, knows what they were put here to do, and does it just makes it happen. No excuses. Well, girl, I will tell you, it's tough because me and God had a conversation that, <laughs> and, and that I lost, you know, because most of my friends in the Air Force are guys. And so when he gave me this, this woman veterans initiative, I was like, really? <laughs> He's like, yes, you. And he said, you have the experience and the old shall teach the, the young. And uh, you can do it. Uh, and, and anybody who's been in my cohorts will tell you, I'm, it's kind of like I'm in command. I, I don't, you know, I, I I let them do what they do. But if they're out of order on something, if they're complaining, I'm like, girl, you're complaining. There's no federal other federal agency who's giving women veteran businesses this kind of attention. You have the second largest federal agency giving you this kind of attention and you're expecting everything to be perfect. But you know, that just goes with the veteran environment. We kind of think we're entitled. And I'm saying we, we kind of say, well, you're supposed to do that. Yeah, we are. But, well, but there's still constraints, you know, there's still challenges. And so, you know, you know, so I think the women are very grateful. 99% are amazing, but there's always a few that, um expect a lot and 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 want it like where's the checklist there is no checklist for any starting any business once you sign up get your ein all that the checklist ends you yeah. write the business plan that's your checklist oh yeah so, it's absolutely so true i think one of the things that i'd love to see one day in terms of uh services for veterans is if there was some sort of a gi bill track for entrepreneurship <laughs> you are brilliant i've heard about it i've heard that there's people yes. trying to work it but yes. i would yes and even think about home loans you know how many people take out second mortgages on their loan what if you were allotted this amount and i only so gee you know the the loan goes up to i think like a million dollars now uh mm -hmm. so let's say i only want to buy a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar house why can't I take another three hundred thousand and put it in my business, and that be part, be a benefit, right? That's I mean, a great those kind of thought. things. You know, I hadn't those thought kind of that of one. Yeah, no, yeah. but the GI Bill, all it's there already. It's just underwritten by the government, right? And so I think that's an opportunity that you know, um, I would love to see. Right, Me right. too. So, I'm going to, when I, I, I think one of my homeworks to myself, I, I've just heard some politicians talk about it. And my homework to myself is to look into if anyone, if any advocacy group is working something along those lines, because if there was a group that I knew that was lobbying to get a, a, the GI Bill changed in, into some sort of uh -huh, a program that would help uh -huh. entrepreneurs, I, I would definitely 
uh, stand behind that and do what I and could. And I think a lot of people would. It. I think so and too. Let me know. Let me know. I will. Anything dealing with entrepreneurship, um, I'd love. Uh, you know, I'm on um, every Wednesday. I at seven to eight p.m. eight thirty sometime. I uh, have a um, a um, LinkedIn live uh, and a LinkedIn audio. I've now gone to uh, Wisdom Facebook and and YouTube. Um, uh, where we're talking about equity and government contracting uh, because there's new regulation, uh, not regulation, but laws and executive order mandates to award more contracts to women, veteran, minority, disabled, LGBTQ plus uh, companies. And so, um, you know, now there's never been a better time to be in business, to get in business. If you want to ask questions, we have a panel of experts uh, from various perspectives who can help. And because there's a lot of information, but you don't need all the information at one time. You just need to know, what do I do? What do I need to, you know, how do I decipher this information uh, for the point in my business journey that I'm, that I'm in? And, and so that's what we do. And we have an amazing time. And you talk about a free masterclass, free, F-R-E-E, <laughs> masterclass of, of resources that you will hear from people who would demystify not only the government, but demystify small business. I love it. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much, Michelle. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I will <laughs> I'm gonna go to full screen just for a second, but I will meet you backstage. Any closing comments uh, before yes. I, I go to my full screen? Yes, please follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, you can ask me a question. Uh, you know, sometimes people will send me something and I'll meet with them, you know, under my, my VA hat. If you're a woman veteran uh, business, uh, that is my jam. That is my focus. Uh, you know, please reach out, listen in, lean in, uh, comment, chat. But most of all, uh, stay tuned because I'm always posting resources, posting about opportunities, and uh, just would love to grow the community because I think we have an opportunity to really uh, increase the the wealth right of women veteran entrepreneurs and that wealth is determined by you whether it's uh, two million or 200 billion 200,000 you determine it by your plan for your life and your resilience and hard work and uh, I'm ready to help and it'd be my pleasure and oh my god Teresa I've had way too much fun girl <laughs> ask me back anytime especially if you're talking leadership that's my jam. <laughs> Let's talk, girl. I love it. Love it. All right. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. And thank you to all of you for watching tonight. Uh, we'll have another show for you next week. I'll be having on um, another uh, actually active duty uh, captain who is used to be a public affairs officer, and now she's wow. a foreign area officer. So I'm nice. really ex excited to talk to her. She's got that mix of the diplomacy and the public affairs background. So she's got a very unique story to tell. But until then, you guys enjoy the rest of your evening, and I'll talk to you later. Bye now.